Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. Good morning. My name is David. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I get the privilege of preaching what you just heard read. The reason why we read all that is because Revelation 1 says that whoever reads these words aloud and who hears these words read aloud are blessed. And we want to be blessed and we want to be obedient. And so that's why we just read all that. And if you've been with us at all through Revelation, you know like it's getting, it's getting kind of crazy. It's getting a little bit wild. There's trumpets and there's seals and bowls getting poured out. Like it's God's wrath just on full display. And then we take this little side piece into Revelation 10. The reason why we're covering Revelation 10 is this. This is the best way I can explain it. And if you follow like Avengers or Star Wars, you're going to track with me. And if you don't, you're going to be like the 9 o'clock service and you're going to look at me like I'm crazy up here. And that's okay because I'll be up here by myself because me and Corey and Jeff got it sitting in our office doing in worship plan, planning, all right? So think about this. You got the Avengers and then you'll get these like spinoffs of like Black Widow or of like a hawk or, you know, guardians of the galaxy. And, you, and you're like, well, what does that have to do like with Avengers? Because it's all happening sometimes simultaneously. Like it'll give you like a background story. Or if you watch Star Wars and then you go and you can watch something on Disney Plus and see like the Mandalorian or, or the, you know, Jedi, whatever. And because it's showing you like this was happening at the same time. This is what's going on here. John's nothing stopped. Nothing's inconsistent. John gets another vision of an angel who had a scroll. Most likely this angel is Jesus. Okay. And the reason there's a lot of reasons. I'm just going to give you one big reason why this angel is probably Jesus because his one foot standing on the land. One foot is standing in the sea showing his dominion and rule over all creation. There's a lot of other stuff, but I don't have time because I went way over last service and I'm already seven minutes in because we read a lot. So I'm just going to go with this. But here's the deal. He, he gets told to eat this scroll. Corey mentioned this last week. It's just like Ezekiel 3. He, Ezekiel's told as a prophet to eat this scroll. It's going to be sweet to your mouth and bitter in your stomach because the word of the Lord to us as believers, if you're a believer, is sweet to you. There is a goodness to it. But it is bitter to have to tell people to go and prophesy because he's not just eating this scroll for no reason. He's going then to prophesy to kings and nations and all peoples of what is going to happen. This is some heavy stuff. And then when we get into chapter 11, what happens is we see these two prophets, which we're going to talk about how it's not really two individuals. If you watch Left Behind back in the 90s, I'm sorry, we can all repent for that later because we would think literally it is two individuals. It's not two individuals. I'll unpack that in a minute. But we see these prophets witnessing, and then they get killed. And there's people throwing us a party, and, and that's just half of like what we've been reading. And you may be thinking, well, how in the world is this happening? Like, what is going on? This is some evil stuff. It's pretty intense. I don't get it. And you may be wondering, like, how could God allow this evil and intense things to happen? And I have a quote from you from Augustine of Hippo. He was one of the early church fathers in mid-300 to early 400 AD, and he says this, God would never permit evil if he could not bring good out of evil. So just hear me in this, not even pertaining to this, just this text. If you're sitting here today, you're watching online, you're thinking like, 
Man, my life is messed up. I don't understand what's going on. God would not permit the evil to happen if he could not bring good out of the evil. Like, just believe that and cling to that today. He is working all things together for the good of those who love him. All of us who love him. So when we see this, what we can know is that God is working all this, chapter 11, for his good, for the restoring of all things. He's going to restore all things. He cannot be stopped. And if I had a main big idea for you, it would be our God is unstoppable. It's just one of our points today is our God is unstoppable. And hear me because of this. Because our God is unstoppable, then in return, we are unstoppable until we aren't. But then we are. And I'm going to unpack that because that doesn't make sense if you listen to me at first. Like, we're unstoppable until we're not, but then we are, and here's why. Because if you are here and you're a born-again, blood-bought believer, you are unstoppable until your time on this earth and God's divine plan for you is over. And the only reason it's going to be over is like that for a moment, and then you're back. You're with him for eternity. So when we read about these two witnesses, which again, we'll unpack who that exactly is, and then there's three and a half years or 1,260 days or 42 months, however you want to break it down because it's all the same timeline, they were untouchable. They could not be stopped. Like if someone tried to come up against them, they would literally consume them with fire. I think that is symbolic. I don't think they're spewing, they're not, they did not turn into dragons. Okay, so like it is symbolic that they were unstoppable. The word of the Lord was going forth and no one could stop them. It was a torment to the world. We see that later in this chapter 11. I want you to hear me, though, that you sitting here today, if you truly profess Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been born again, you are unstoppable. I don't mean go stand out in 159 and get hit by a car because here's what's going to happen. If it's not your time to go, it's going to really hurt. It's going to jack you up, and you're going to go to the hospital, and you're going to be all broken up, but God ain't going to take you out because he ain't done with you yet. It's just, he's going to look at you and be like, man, you're really dumb. You're really dumb. Like, David didn't mean to go do that. So I'm not saying go and like, I'm unstoppable. I'm going to jump off my roof and see if I can fly. You can't. But what you can do is you can trust that God has a plan for you, and whatever it is that he's sending you out to do, he's got it. You don't have to fear failure. You don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear financial collapse. Because he's going to make sure that you have food to eat and a roof over your head until you don't need it. And he's keeping account of where you're at. Look at verse there in verse 1. He says, "Then this is John. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar of those who worship there. So he's saying, go measure it up. God doesn't need to know how big the temple is. He's not worried about that. He's getting a count. He's getting a count of you and you and me and you guys. He's getting a count of where everybody's at. He's having John show, like, and it's, it's not for his sake. God didn't need to know. Like, he already knew. He already knows, but he wanted John so we can write this down so that we can know that he's getting a count of where each of us are at. But then look at who he doesn't need a count of. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out. For it is given over to the nations. They will trample the holy city for 42 months. A lot of Old Testament symbolism here. Back in Old Testament, only people who could go into the temple were, were Jews, God's chosen people. But Gentiles could not. They could go into the outer court. They were not part of God's people. And so they stayed there. 
Now, though, that we are under the new covenant of Jesus Christ through his work on the cross, Gentiles and Jews alike are God's chosen people. We are the elect, and so we can go into the temple because the temple is us. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. And so then he's getting account of who we are, but it doesn't matter who they are. He's like, they're going to face my wrath. Don't worry about them. Just worry about my people. And so if you're, if you're in that count, again, you're unstoppable. Literally, we, we think, well, I can't do this. I don't know what I'm supposed to go and to do. I'm afraid that something might go wrong for me. But you're not going to die. Like literally in two weeks from tomorrow, I get to drive to Chicago, me and Jeff, and we get to get on a plane and go to Indonesia. And there's some of you in this room, or some of you watching online, some that was in the 9 o'clock service, you're like, that's not for me. No way. I ain't going over there and witnessing the Muslims and, and doing this, and that, that scares me. I don't want to get on a plane and go over, this, over the ocean when the plane crashes in the ocean. Well, I don't know, then that's how you die. Like, literally, I'm not even going to try to sugarcoat it today. That, that's just how you die. Like, so be it. I don't know. I mean, maybe you have a... It's just, it is what it is at that point, right? Like, God's not going to let you go until your time's done, but yet we get so afraid, and then we're like, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to witness at work because of, of this. If that is God's plan for you to have that job, it's not going to come to an end until it's time for it to come to an end. If it means, like, to have a relationship with a family member, he'll take care of it until it's not, like, that's what I'm trying. I want you to hear me so much today because there's a time set. Like he's saying, it's 42 months. It's 1,260 days. Everything is lining up. He's working it all out. So those prophets have a set time for their work. You have a set time for your work. You have a, a plan. I love this quote from Lottie Moon. She was a missionary in the 1800s. She says this, I have a firm conviction that I am immortal until my work is done. I mean, really, like, hear that. This, this is a four foot 11 lady, was the first female to get sent to China as a missionary by herself. Like, that never happened. You went with your husband. But she was so persistent, she went. And she radically changed whole areas and communities in China. Like, she, has a, she does so much work. There's a Christmas offering that all goes to international missions named after her. So my gosh, she did something amazing in God's name, and she knew that that wasn't going to end until God was done with her. That's who we get to be. So when we go about our lives, we got to look at a text like this and not try to figure out who, who and when and how this all works until the end of time. Just know that God is saying, I'm unstoppable, I have all power and dominion, and now you're going to go and you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. I want you to hear that. Because we're going to call you continually to go into your communities, to go into your neighborhoods, to go to the Metro East, and then to go to the nations. We're going to call you to do that over and over and over again. And if you're not ready for that, we're tight on seats. Look around. We've got a while before we get in that new building. So if you're not, like this is where we're heading. We want you on board with us. Like this is where we're heading. We want you with us. Why? Because we're called to be the faithful witness of Christ. That's who these two witnesses are, us. We are literally sitting here today as a testament to Old Testament prophecy. We are an answer to it. I'm going to show you that. So there's five reasons I want you to see that these two witnesses are the global church, the remnant of God's people. 
First reason is this, is there's two lampstands referred to in this text. There's two olive trees. You have to have olive oil back then to burn in these lampstands. That was the oil they would have used. If you remember back when we preached through the seven churches in Revelation, there was two churches, Smyrna and Philadelphia, who did not get any correction. Every other church had something wrong with them, and God was like, fix this, or I'm removing your lampstand. Don't do that anymore, or I'm removing your lampstand. Two churches left. Here it is, right here. These two, it is showing us that we, the remnant, that this pure, faithful church, that's what's left to go and to be this witness of God, to take out the, the word that he's, that he's told us to do. It's Old Testament prophecy literally coming true from Joel 2, uh, chapter 2, 28 through 32. This is what it says in Joel. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. That's, that's what he's saying. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young shall see visions. And even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and I will show wonders in heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The, sh- the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, and as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those who, whom the Lord calls. We are the answer to this Old Testament prophecy. This is, poor, this is happening here in Revelation, Revelation 11. That is happening. There's more reasons why. This is the global church, not two individuals, 9 through 13. It states that the whole world will see this apparent defeat of the church. If it was two individuals, it would not be that big of a deal. The two radical religious folks got killed. It wouldn't be that big of a deal. Do you realize how happy the world will be with the, at the supposed fall of the church? They are going to, it's literally, they're going to throw a party. The text tells us that. They're going to party and give gifts out. They're going to celebrate their butts off. Like it is going to be like Mardi Gras on steroids. Like they're going to be pumped at the fall of the church. This tells us here, like this, is this, this is what they're looking for. This is what they want. Why? Because we've been a torment to them, which I'm going to unpack more in a minute. The witnesses, then they prophesy for three and a half years, 42 months, 1260 days, however you want to spin it. When you look at other texts throughout, Revelation, like Revelation 13, 6, it makes sense. It points us all back to this. It's all connecting that is showing that it's the church, not just two individuals. Fourth reason why. It says that the, the, the beast will make war on the two witnesses. This is alluding to Daniel 7, 21. I know I'm throwing a ton of information at you, and I'm talking really, really fast, but just stick with me, okay? So Daniel 7, 21 and 22 says, as I look, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the ancient of days came. So again, right, right, that's right there. We're going to go up in the clouds with the ancient in days, which is Jesus, okay? They're gonna, he's going to kill us, and then judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. We see that there in verses 17 and 18, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. That's the rest of 18 when we get the reward that is waiting for us, which we'll talk about. And then lastly, the fifth reason why this is the church and not just two individuals is often revelation. The entire community of believers is the source of testifying who Jesus is, so nowhere should we think that it's just two random, like, select Christians that get to go and testify. We are the pure church. If you're sitting here today, there is no room on the sidelines. It is all hands on deck because we are the faithful and true. We are the remnant of the church. We can't play games with this. 
We just can't. And I want you to see those reasons because it's important that you see yourselves how God sees you. You can't see yourself as just like incapable or not needed. You're completely capable for the mission and the works that God has prepared for you. And you're completely needed. So we can't miss this. So there's two witnesses. We are the answer to that Old Testament prophecy. That's who we are. The two witnesses represent us. And so I would ask you then, are you part of that faithful and true people? Are you? You can be sitting here today, and it doesn't mean you're part of the faithful and true. You're just sitting in a church. That's it. Like, that doesn't mean you're the faithful and true. But if you are saying, yeah, I'm part of that, then my next question is this, is are you ready to endure as the faithful and true? Because a great persecution awaits the church. A great persecution awaits us. Look at this. Three and a half years, 42 months, 1260 days. Then what happens? And when they had finished their testimony, verse 7, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them. That's the church. And conquer them. He's going to conquer us. And he's going to kill us. And our dead bodies are going to lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. So we're going to be laying dead. The world is going to see us. And for three and a half days, some of the peoples of tribes and language and nations, so he's saying everyone, that when, when the Bible says of tribes, language, and nations, that's the whole world. They're going to celebrate. They're going to exchange presents, and they're going to rejoice over them and make merry because, because these two prophets have been a torment to those who dwell on earth. So you can see it all right there, verses 7 through 10. The people of God get killed. The world will celebrate. They party because of our death. And why? Because we've been a torment to them. A torment. I want you to think about that. You are a stumbling block to what they see as their utopia. When you speak biblical truth into any situation, you will create uproar, frustration, anger, you don't believe me? Go home and post a, a, a Christian biblical worldview on any topic. I'll give you the topic if you can't think of one. And watch how many people unfriend you on Facebook. Right? Like it's going to happen. Because they can't handle it. Why? Because you're a torment to them. You're speaking truth in, into any. I don't even start listing them. Into any sin. Abortion. Uh, LGBTQ stuff. Like you speak into that truth. Like it just. And they're boom. They're like, what are you doing? You're tormenting me. I can't handle it. They can't handle the truth. They literally, it freaks them out. And so you don't think they're going to celebrate when we don't exist. But it's only for three and a half days. Because then that breath of God is going to come right in. And we're right back up. We're right back up. So often, though, in America, what we do is we're like, man, I don't know if I want that risk. I don't know if I want that risk. The persecution's coming? Like, that's going to freak me out. I mean, it's coming. And the reality is some of us are going to fall off. We're going to be like, I'm not going to church. I'm not going to missional community. I'm not. We're at a restaurant. Don't dare, kids, don't bow your head and pray for that food. Like, I don't even want to see us. Like, it's still, it sounds silly, but we may be that afraid. We might, because we have a comfort idol. We don't want any risk. We don't want to step into the unknown because then we won't be comfortable anymore and we might, we might suffer. We might endure some type of persecution, but yet, aren't we called to as our representative of Jesus? Like, we're supposed to be a representative of him. We're called to suffer. We're called to face persecution. Why? Because he did. But 
just remember, no one's going to be able to harm you until God allows it. And, I, and you ask, well, then why would God allow it? To bring his good and perfect plan to finish complete work? That's why. Like he's going to do what he does. And why would he let the world act in such a way? Well, I think Romans 1 is a good example of why. Because he turns us over to our depravity. Eventually, he will just turn us over to our depravity. And I want you to hear me on this. And this is not in my notes. And I said this in the first service. You're thinking, well, I, I can't believe that people would celebrate the death of the church and just the murder of Christians. If you're sitting here today and you're not a born-again believer, you've never given your life to Christ, your natural inclination will be to celebrate with them. Don't believe me, but that's where you're heading. Like, I'm just being real with you. Like, your natural inclination will be to celebrate the fall of the church because you are not a child of God unless you've been born again. You are an enemy of God, Ephesians 2 would tell us. And so you naturally, naturally, in your own just born self, that's what you would do, is you would celebrate the fall of the church. But that's not how the story ends. An eternal reward awaits us. If this all ended at verse 10, it would be horrible. We'd have no hope. We should pack up and go home. This would be a miserable life. But it doesn't end there for us or the world. For what awaits us is this, verse 11, the breath of God, eternal life. He's going to breathe life into us. We will reign with him forever. Like this is this God's life, the same breath that brought Jesus up out of that tomb is the same breath that is in you. It's in me. We won't die. We just pass from one life to the next, and the next one is way better than this. Next, verse 12, this is another part of the reward, is that we're going to be with Jesus. It says that we're caught up in the clouds. He says, come up here, and they went up, in the, in, up to heaven in a cloud. Hear me on this. If Jesus isn't in heaven, because some of us, like our first uh, thought is, man, I can't wait to get to heaven because I want to see so-and-so. If Jesus isn't in heaven, I don't want to go. I, don't, I mean, it'd be cool to see well, whoever. I've said this before, but I want to be with Jesus. Like, that's the reward I'm waiting for, not to see my grandma. I want to be with Jesus, all right? So that's number two. Number three, what awaits us is we get to reign with him. It says, then the seventh angel, this is verse 15, blew his trumpet, and there was loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. We're reigning with him. We're reigning right there with him. That's the plan. That's one of our rewards. Verse 16, the elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God. The 24 elders are representing the whole church. That's us. We're going to get to worship him forever. And then in verse 15, it says, or in verse 18, it says that he literally, and for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, He's going to reward us. There's crowns, there's jewels awaiting us that we'll throw back at his feet in worship of him. But it's not just that something awaits us. There's something that awaits the world. Verses 13 and 18 tells us that God's wrath awaits the world. Like he's going to deal, deal out justice. You may be sitting here today and thinking, man, I really cannot believe people get by with the stuff that they get by with. They won't. In God's timing, they will get what is due to them. And you may think, oh, that sounds harsh. That's part of our reward is knowing that justice will be perfectly administered. Number two, they're going to fear God. Verse 13, like they're going to be in fear because they're going to see us rose back to life. Like, and, and then there's an earthquake that kills off a tenth of them. The, their, the fear is going to be just consuming. 
And then in verse 18, the last part of it says, and for the destroyers, destroying the destroyers of the earth, God will take them out. Like they will be banished to hell. But we can have confidence in all this because of verse 19. Verse 19 says, then, that God's, then God's temple in heaven was open, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder and earthquake and heavy hail. That ark of the covenant is a sign of hope for us. That was it, like the, just the culmination of it all to say this covenant, that he's a covenantal God. He makes covenants and promises that he does not break. And the covenant that we live under is the one of Jesus and the cross and the gospel. And because of that, when we see that Ark of the Covenant, it is a sign that represents the forgiveness and justice of God. It's God's judgment and forgiveness and then his presence with his people because the Ark went where God's people went. And so when it's there, he's saying, I'm now, I'm with you. I'm with you for eternity now. See, our, our, our minds, because of our culture, have a hard time reconciling forgiveness and justice. We don't reconcile those two well. We think it's one or the other. But God, in the work of Jesus on the cross, completely reconciles them because all his justice and wrath is poured out on Jesus. And then for anyone who places their faith in him, they get to see forgiveness. But for those who don't, his justice is still awaiting them. So... I want you to know that God is faithful to show mercy and justice. To know Jesus is to receive grace. To reject Jesus is to receive his wrath. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. The worship team is going to come back up in a minute. I want you to hear what I just said again. To know Jesus is to receive grace. To reject Jesus is to receive wrath. And so I want you to really ponder today. Are you a child of God, or are you an enemy of God? That's the only two choices. There is no in-between. And so today I want you to to hear me in this and that we've all sinned. The Bible's clear about that. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I I see a room this size, this many people, those watching online, there's bound to be someone watching, listening that's not a a born-again believer. So hear me. We've all sinned. And because of that sin, the Bible is very, very clear that we are owed death, eternal death, completely separated for God for all eternity. And that is not a place that we would want to be. And he did not want us there either because while we were still sinners, while we did nothing to deserve it, we didn't earn his favor in any way, he sent Jesus to die in our place, to bore all the sins of the world in our place, to die and then to rise again. And the Bible is very clear. If we confess Jesus with our heart, believe in our hearts that he died and rose again, we will be saved. Anyone. So as we, as believers now, get ready to take communion, if you're standing here today and you're not yet a believer, I ask you to, to, to cry out to God. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you need to do that today, make that a reality. Come talk to me, Corey, Jeff, anyone, and say, man, I just gave my life to Christ. What do I do now? Because we would love to talk to you more about it. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read this concerning communion. God, I, I, just, I pray, Lord, that we see you as an unstoppable God. And because of that, being your people, Lord, we are unstoppable. And that we will charge the gates of hell, and we will fight evil until you call us home. God, help us to see you for who you are. And because of that, see ourselves for who you see us to be. Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, God, I pray that you will convict their hearts. You will save them, Lord. You will breathe life into their dead bodies and you will raise them to a new life, a new creation in you through your son, Jesus Christ. And God, I just, I pray that we will go forth with what you've called us to do. Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.
This is what the Bible says concerning communion in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.